0: have with us brother abner this morning and uh, he is going to be coming and sharing the word with us today and uh, i so appreciate his willingness to come on father's day be with us and uh, so we're going to uh, celebrate the goodness of his word now amen? amen praise god would you give the lord a good welcome for his gift brother abner as he comes this morning all right good morning Thank you. I'm going to come down close to you. There's plenty of available seats up front. You can move anytime you want. You know, in sporting events, and I go to some, you got to pay more money to sit up close. And for whatever reason, some people like sitting in the back of the church. But um, can can somebody grab that for me, bring that down, it would be really helpful to me. But great to be with you this morning. I have been to the state of West Virginia before, uh, but never to this particular area. So, just a little background of myself. I was thinking over there, I don't actually keep exact track, but I know that God has a sense of humor. Amen. Right. The reason I know that God has a sense of humor is because I'm in full time ministry. I never desired to be in ministry. And uh, I honestly thought as a child growing up, preachers were weird, especially traveling ones. And, uh, but what I learned is, and what I continue to learn is this, that your, your greatest life is hidden in your surrender to him. You won't, you, you, some people think like it's, it's really difficult to give things up for God. And, and there is a place, of, a choice you have to make, but really, it's, you know what's really difficult? Serving the devil and serving the world system, trying to make it on your own, trying to figure out how you're going to pay your bills, trying to figure out how you can help your children do better or get off drugs or whatever the challenge might be. That's tough doing that on your own. That's really tough. And we got so many promises as children of God. Cast all your burden on him, right? What? Because he cares for you. Come to me, all you who are uh, burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That though you're in this world, you get to live from a different place. You, You know, if you... The more, I, the more I walk with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one of the truths that really comes out to me is that in Jesus' training of his disciples, he was not training them to go to heaven. <laughs> he was training them how to bring heaven to earth. You never once, I'm not opposed to it. I, I, we sang it many times as a child growing up, but you never once hear them going, hey, we're going to get out of here pretty soon. He taught them how to engage the world that they were in. And um, so, anyway, I was going to say all that to say, it's, um, I think this year is 16 years I've been in full-time ministry. I grew up outside um, New York City, that's why I'm a very big Jet fan, so I like the green. And uh, I live, though, where God lives right now. I live in North Carolina. Now, he visits other places, including West Virginia, but he lives in North Carolina. <laughs> he does occasionally go out other places, but he, he comes back to the promised land. And so, um, and, and I believe this. I, I don't just say this. This is the greatest time to ever be alive. The things that God is doing around the globe will, it's just so encouraging. It, and it doesn't mean we don't have any challenges It just means that uh, really the prophets of old long to live during this time. And God is pouring out his spirit in an unprecedented way in the nations of the earth. And I've seen much of it with my own eyes. And uh, so if you're alive today and you're in Christ, it's a really good time to be alive. Really good time to be alive. Uh, Real quick, we have a a resource table back there. And uh, I wrote a book about four years ago. And uh, how many today, if after you left here and some of you look hungry already, you went to the restaurant and somebody said, I want to know the God that you serve, you could lead them to the Lord. Could you do that? Hopefully you could. <laughs> Sometimes when people, I ask people, are you, are you, are you a believer? Are you born again? I, I'm not sure. That means no. If you're trying to be married, you're not doing very good probably. Ask your wife today, are we married? She'll tell you. <laughs> but if you led somebody to the Lord today, hopefully, if they, after you lead them to the Lord or even before, they said, you know what, I got, I got this terrible pain in my neck. Well, my God takes care of that. And they're like, wow, you know, my kid's on drugs. My God takes care of that. You know, I haven't had a job in nine years. My God takes care of that. You know, every, you know, every few weeks I get really depressed. I just get overwhelmed. My God takes care of that. Amen. Right. Pretty soon what you'll find is that if you're in Christ, he's got a solution for every one of the problems you're ever going to face in this world. Amen. And I've never talked to God and him gone, nah, you're on your own with this one. Or this is, this is just too bad. He's always like, let me help you with this. You walk with the Holy Spirit, he'll make you look a lot smarter. He kind of created this world, so he's, he understands some things. So we all say amen to that, but a lot of, we've stopped short of believing that God wants to do that for the nations of the earth. God doesn't just redeem individuals, he redeems nations. And you'll actually watch that there'll be a day where he judges nations. There'll be goat and sheep nations. Don't don't honestly. There's this there's this propaganda right now, and and of course our our primary allegiance is the kingdom of God. But don't believe this propaganda that God doesn't care about nations and, and it's and it's wrong to be proud of being an American and stuff. There's nothing wrong. It, Paul actually tells us God is the one who created boundaries, nations and tribes and nations. God that's God's idea. God's idea. And so we have a responsibility in the time that we live in to redeem the time and not only see individuals set free, but actually learn how to disciple nations. That's, that's, that's why we're here. Because it's, it, it's, it's not arrogance to display a superior system. And I live in a superior system. You do, you too, if you're in Christ. And uh, so this book is about God meeting a family and then God touching a nation. It's got a story that goes with it. So if you like stories, you can just read the story. If you like teaching, you can just read the teaching. If you don't like to read, it's going to be very difficult for you to grow. Leaders or readers. <laughs> All right, I do feel like the Lord's given me something this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. And I hope you got your Bibles. People died to get that book in your hands? Literally. <laughs> there was a time, you know there was a time in the body of Christ, the only body that ever existed that they thought it it was wrong to put the Bible in the common people's hands. That's bad stuff. In fact, the priests didn't even read the Bible. Martin Luther said, "I became dangerous when I read the Bible." The Bible, well, it's actually my, my iPad, but I, I read off my iPad. The Bible has the ability to completely transform you, nations, and give you total victory in every area of your life. The so first Samuel 16, let's just lift our hands for a moment. We'll pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that this is a day that you've made. We thank you, Lord, for every person here. I bless their destiny in the name of Jesus. I call their destiny into alignment, into greater purpose today. And Father, we thank you for the angel of the Lord that's here. This is I declare this to be Bethel. This is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. This is the place where angels ascend and descend on the Son of Man. Father, thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Open up your word to us. Let it be like those two disciples who walk with you on the road to Emmaus and you revealed yourself to them and you pointed to the scriptures that pointed to you. So let our hearts burn with the word of God. Father, I am in deep need of your help. (laughs) You and I both know without you, I can't do anything, but with you everything's possible. Let miracles take place in this room, God. Mark us with your word. Let there be a marking power come upon your word Today. And we honor you. And we give you thanks in advance for everything you want to do in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. My friend over here, uh, look at, is it you in the blue? You lead this ministry here? Yeah, see you guys, see your wife next to you. How long have you been doing this? Yeah, I felt like it was a while. There's some promises that the Lord has given to you, and I see that you've been pursuing, pursuing, and, and claiming those promises. And the Lord says, this is going to be, the next three years will be your greatest season of breakthrough. And that you've heard the word of the Lord, and the gold is in your mouth in this season. The Lord says, don't be defined by what you see, be defined by what he told you. You're like a, you're like a bulldog. You hold, on to, you hold on to what the Lord's called you to. And the Lord says, you're going to break through and large amounts of money are going to come your way to fund the vision. And the Lord says, don't try and do it in your own strength, but trust in the blessing of the Lord to bring it to pass. I believe millions of dollars are going to float through your hands to do what the Lord's called you to do. And there's, a, there's actually an angel of the Lord here today. It's lifting off the burdens and the weights that you felt just tried to overwhelm you. And the Lord says, from this day forward, you will not be overwhelmed. In fact, a sign the Lord's going to give you is you're going to sleep as never before. He's very pleased with you. I don't know who it is, but um, someone, you uh, you've had pain in your lower back for at least the last three years. By the end of the meeting today, that pain is going to be completely gone. I tell you, I don't know if you. I just saw the picture of you bending over, and you're you're just completely made whole. So just. Just receive that. And somebody's right shoulder, the Lord is healing somebody's right shoulder. Just receive that in Jesus' name. You know, you know what a word of knowledge is? It's simply Jesus going, I know your condition and I want to heal it. If Jesus were physically in this room and he'd go, hey, I know your condition, he wouldn't go and just keep it. <laughs> you know, Jesus, Jesus this... I know, I know, hopefully, we've come a long way, but Jesus can't give sickness to anyone. The only person that ever had sickness on him was Jesus, so you wouldn't have to walk in. You know, you can't give something you don't have. So it's just Jesus saying, I know your condition. So the power's in the word. You don't even need someone to lay hands on you. If those two are you, I'm telling you, the Lord is healing you. You're working my table, right? Uh, the Lord really highlighted you to me during worship. And uh, you have had the call of God upon your life since you were a little child. And there is an extremely strong prophetic gift on the inside of you. And in the coming years, this, there's this invitation today from the Lord. Uh, uh, James, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And as you draw near to him, the Lord is, you're going to encounter the Lord in very, unusual—not un, I don't want to say unusual, but very deep encounters with the Lord. And it's going to mantle you with great prophetic authority. And the Lord is going to cause you to, to roar like the lion of the tribe of Judah in the nations of the earth. I see like your mouth is supposed to be used as a voice piece that your words would actually bring restoration, healing, and nations into alignment with the purpose of God. And Jesus is really pleased with you. There's also a really strong healing gift on your life. And you might not get all that, but here's what I really understand from the Lord as the word of wisdom is, he is with you, he's for you, and he has called you you in your mother's womb. I'm telling you, whoever that is with the right shoulder issue, the Lord's healing, I keep seeing that. Uh, Sir, all the way in the back there in the blue, almost in the back. No, yeah, you turn your head. No, you right there. Yeah, you. What's your name? Brad. Brad, Brad, the Lord says this is your turnaround season, and he wants you to know that his eyes have been towards you, that where you thought maybe... uh, where's God in all this? He's, right, he's standing actually right next to you. And he's heard those prayers that you've prayed and he wants to answer those prayers. But there's a shift in the way you see him and the way you present yourself before him that will cause you to break through as never before. You also have a healing gift on your life. If you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel 16. I want to talk uh, this morning where I felt from the Lord to talk a little bit about the life of David. David to me is... I mean, just an outstanding figure in, in, in uh, biblical history, but it has uh, much application to New Testament believers. There are 58 New Testament references to David, included the often repeated title given to Jesus, the son of David. That's, that's pretty fascinating right there, that Jesus is known as the son of David. I don't fully say I can grasp all that, but one thing I am convinced by Jesus taking that title is God is not unafraid of identifying with weak humanity. God is actually drawn to people in weakness because where they're weak, he wants to be their strength. Paul states that Jesus is descended from David according to the flesh, and of course in Revelation 22:16 Uh, Jesus himself is recorded by John as saying, I am the root and the offspring of David. David is an ancestor, a forerunner, and a foreshadow of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, what's even really interesting about David is David is a prophet, priest, and king, and David actually sees into a time that is even beyond the time that he lives in. That's, That's interesting stuff you know that you're actually supposed to make decisions while you're on the earth that affect a time that you will never actually live in. But if you say, see, you got to think eternally. As New Testament believers, everybody should be thinking eternally. The only thing that matters one day is that you're doing what the captain of the Lord of hosts has asked you to do. Because one day you'll stand before him and here's the everybody's going to stand before him. And none of our excuses, none of the reasons why we chose not to do stuff, like, like you, can't tell, you can't tell the Lord Jesus Christ, well, you know, I, I didn't switch churches because my mama didn't want, that's, that's not going to register. N- none of that stuff, right? The stuff that we think is a reason why not to do stuff, not going to register before the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll stand bare before him. And it's, it's good to live, it's a healthy thing, to understand that you'll stand before a righteous judge. That's why even if you're saved or unsaved, every knee will bow because go you, you, when they stand before him, you, they're going to go, you're the one true God. Yes, right. Right. But when you stand before God, you will never be able to go, you didn't tell me. Right. Imagine that one like, Gabriel, you forget to tell. Okay, all right, that one's on us. 2009, we missed that one. It's not going to work like that. But David actually sees into a time as a prophet where there's not going to be the sacrifice needed anymore, and there's going to be a time where everyone can approach the throne of God through the blood of Jesus, and that's why he creates this tabernacle called the Tabernacle uh, Tabernacle of David. And 24 hours a day, seven days a week, he actually paid people to worship in this tabernacle. What is it? it? It was actually a physical sign of what was coming in the new covenant, and he displayed it. And so, uh, to, uh, the background of the story of David, which is really important if you look at his life, and I, I encourage you to read. He's one of the few biblical figures where you can read basically from one end of his life to another in First and Second Samuel. Very few that you can capture most of his life. Now, Chronicles will talk a little bit about him, but you can capture literally. Uh, you can go through whole, all of David's life, First and Second Samuel, I can do it on a long uh, plane flight. But it's important to understand some of the background to David, and it's this, it's the prophet Samuel. Samuel, even as an old covenant prophet, is still one of the greatest prophets that ever walked the face of the earth. 1 Samuel 3, verse 1 says this, God let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. That means when Samuel spoke for the Lord. It wasn't like, you know, I'm not sure. I ate a little too much steak last night. This might be the... When Samuel spoke, they knew they could cash the check. And he calls two kings into order, and he is this voice of God in the earth. So God speaks to the voice of God in the earth, and here's what's interesting. He says, I've rejected Saul as king. Do you know that you can actually have allow God to have emotions towards you. He regrets making Saul king. I don't think he regretted making Saul. He regretted the position he allowed him to be in. Centurion soldier, Jesus marvels at his faith. That's one of my prayers. Lord, let me make decisions where you marvel at my faith. So Samuel is this incredible prophet of the Lord and he goes to Jesse's house of the Dukes of Hazard. The older people laugh. Sometimes when you say that one, the younger people are like, "Who's the Dukes of Hazard?" You know. It was one of those really cool TV programs that is not politically correct anymore. You know, we're realizing things were racist when they weren't racist. But anyway, that's a whole different story. First Samuel sixteen. Here we go. And the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I've provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel, uh, and, and Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and, I have, and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Excuse me. Then Jesse to the, and then, then invite, excuse me, it's his teeth. Then invite Jesse to sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me the one I will name you. And Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and they said, do you come peaceably? That's the reason I gave you a little background on him, because it shows how powerful his prophetic ministry is. They know that if he's got a word of judgment, the state farm policy needs to be in place. Verse five, peaceably I've come. To the Lord, sanctify yourselves and come with me to sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And so it was when they came, he he looked and Eliab said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Verse seven, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or look at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Really, really important. Just as a side note here, that's why I give a little background to Samuel. It's this, that God's voice in the earth is looking at Eliab, and I want to suggest to you that probably everyone in that room thinks Eliab is the one. He's good-looking, he's the oldest, you know, he's got a little training here. And this is just a side little understanding that's really important for every person in this room. If you're in Christ, you live from heaven towards earth, or that's God's intention for you. And when you live from heaven towards earth, you simply do not look at things through the five senses. If you look at one of the seven fold uh, functions of the Spirit of God, it says, which is given to every one of us, it says of Jesus, He will not judge by the sight of His eyes. What's that saying? What's that saying? He is, he is looking to here hear to hear and see, to see what the <laughs> itself, matter, matter, Many, 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 time, many times I've, I've seen people moving, they're moving Maybe they get a job offer somewhere else, but they've been plugged into a local place. Their children are doing well, this and that. And they come and they, they say, they say, we got this awesome job offer. And you will find all the scriptural reasons why this is a good idea. Oh, my wife's not going to have to work part-time anymore. We can homeschool the kids, all this stuff. And I always say, have you. Talk to God about this. What has God said about this? What has God... And and see, often too, as you walk through life, if you have an area that is not under the influence of the Holy Spirit, the enemy will often present things in your life that appeal to you, and you won't actually realize it unless you've consulted the Lord. And the Lord will go, this is not what I have for you. I don't care how good it looks. I don't care how good. I just tell a young man, I don't care how good looking she is. If the Lord has not said yes, you don't move. Verse eight. So Jesse called Nadab and made him pass before Samuel and said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Verse nine. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made... Keep in mind verse 8 and verse 9, and you'll see that Jesse is bringing his sons to stand before the prophet of the Lord because he knows Samuel has come for something extremely significant for the hour. This would be like the president of the United States coming to your home and going, hey, we have a task for one of your children. And Jesse made... Seven of his sons passed before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains the youngest. There he is, keeping the sheep. Notice there that uh, Jesse does not volunteer David to stand before the prophet of the Lord. Now, I don't have any children i thought many times as I've read this story when I have a child one day I could see myself because of the way I think maybe I run into Walmart and I go oh I got the kid now forgot him let me go grab the kid (laughs) he's in the back of the car but I could not see myself forgetting that I had a child I could forget him somewhere but forgetting I had a child that's something different most or many, I should say many, not all. There's not complete universal agreement. There's a reason that, that David is not brought before Samuel and it's this. Most people think that David is an illegitimate son of Jesse. And because he's an Ill- illegitimate son, he cannot live in his father's house and he stays outside the house and he also has no ability to get any of his father's inheritance, so his father's think is like, it can't, be, it can't be the illegitimate one. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes. So he went and brought him in, and he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. Now, in the parentheses of my Bible, it says like Abner, but I don't know if it says that in your Bible. <laughs> and the Lord said, Arise and anoint him for he is the one and Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward so Samuel arose and went to Ramah now i love these series of verses because first of all it's full of implications but it is a picture of what god does for for humanity that his own father does not believe in him. His own father doesn't put him before the prophet. You want to talk about a little dysfunction? It's there. He's on Dr. Phil's couch. But here's the wonderful thing about this. God finds him. God finds him beyond the history that has defined his life so far. God finds people. God finds the most dysfunctional people, whatever you want to call it. You know, probably every one of us has some form of dysfunction in our family. But here's the wonderful thing about it. He finds you, and no matter what you've come into the kingdom of God with, even if you came up good, no matter what mistake you, you made, you come into the kingdom of God, and you stand before God, and as soon as you go, I surrender all the resources of that kingdom now become available to you. This young, Literally, this young teenage boy stands before the voice of God in the earth, and God goes, this is the one. Here's the other beauty about that. Every person that has ever come to the earth for the greatest... Lines Miles Monroe left the earth with is this every person that has ever come to earth comes with a distinct purpose. It is the longing of humanity to find that purpose and find the kingdom of God. And when he stands before the prophet, he anoints him. What is that symbolic of? The Holy Spirit. and and it confers to him the purpose that he's called for in life, and it says, from that moment forward, the Holy Spirit came upon him. What does that mean? The moment you became born again, the ability to fulfill the purpose of God in your life came to pass. Here's the other thing that happened. It, It set aside... All the ability of your dysfunction that you came into the kingdom of God with, it set that power aside for the power of the kingdom of God in your life. There are no victims in the kingdom of God. You're not a victim of what a mom did to you. You're not a victim of what it, is it sad? Yeah, I know, I I don't have, I, I talked to my dad this morning, I'm thankful. I grew up with a godly father. I'm thankful that I grew up with a mom who loved God with all her heart. But no matter how you came into the kingdom of God, your dysfunction can no longer define how you live your life unless you allow it to. You can't go, I don't got enough money, I don't got enough education, you know, I don't know the right people, all this stuff. And we have, you have to be aware of this in our culture today because there is what I call propaganda that loves to keep people victims of their world. Oh, you can't do it. You can't, ah, you can't do it. It's not possible. Oh, you know, your ex-husband did you wrong. You'll never recover from that. Whatever the issue was, even, this is a big one, even if you have made poor choices to put yourself in that. That's a big one. All things, right? All things. You know, I remember years ago uh, ministering to this lady at this, this small church in South Carolina. And it is, you know, a time of ministry. And she said to me, you don't understand I knew it was the wrong thing to do, but I did it anyway. I said, yeah, it's called sin. I said, but here's the good news. Are you asking God to forgive you? Yes, I've asked. I said, you've asked him for forgiveness. Guess what he's gonna do? He's gonna help you walk out all the dysfunction of that situation. See, many people know that God has forgiven them for something, but they still live with the guilt the trauma, man, the condemnation. That's a big one. You know, God is not a condemning spirit. Because he's got no religious spirit in him. The enemy loves to use a religious spirit against the people of God. Oh, I, you can't have a, you know, you're not good enough, all that stuff. Here's the big part of walking with God. It has never been about what you could do for God. It's just true. You should have said amen there, but it's true. It's true whether you believe it or not. The kingdom doesn't work like this. You Get it right, and then I'll bless you. He goes, you're now blessed, you're now favored, you're now righteous before me. And from that place, you live from that place, and it causes you to make the right decisions. Like, I've never, got, I don't know about you, but I, I, I've never gotten better. I, I mean, many times, Lord, I'm not going to get this. I don't want to do that. And five minutes later, you're doing it. Why? You're focusing on the wrong thing. But when I go, Lord, thank you, because I've been delivered of that. Now, a key part of this is you've got to take responsibility for it. Don't go, oh, it's, you know, you make me so angry. Really? Someone has that much power over you? Take responsibility. You go, Father, I've missed it. Forgive me. Thank you that the blood of Jesus, and what does John say? And it cleanses us, what? From all unrighteousness. So if it cleanses you from all unrighteousness, guess what's not left anymore in your life? Unrighteousness. There's righteousness there. And from that place of righteousness, you can live with confidence. Now I move on. You say, what if I mess up again? You ask God for forgiveness. I mean, when we have, you know, children, you don't beat them up because they make the same mistake over and over again. Come on, let's, let's get this right. And you live from that place of righteousness. Now, also a key part of this, it says in there that he is now, he, the Spirit of God comes upon him for the express purpose of becoming king over Israel. But here's a key part of that. He's not king yet. So he's got all the resources within him to be king, but what's he got to walk out? He's got to walk out this thing called process. Now that's one believers don't really like so much. (laughs) What is process? The best definition of process I know is process is is the journey to learn how to live by faith in every area of life. And learn how to live from a place of identity. very next chapter we know it's probably not the next day is this great story called David and Goliath and you'll notice too that just because you switch kingdoms doesn't mean the world on the outside of you changes amen yeah. uh, you know, sometimes people go i don't know if i you know i don't know if i'm doing the right the right thing everything's going the other way i said no you're probably doing the right thing but your ability to overcome the world that you live in now has completely changed. First Samuel 17. Now the Philistines gathered armies together and the battle were gathered at Sukkot, which belongs to Judah. And they were encamped between Sukkot and Hazai and Ephem. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they were encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in a battle against army against army. And the Philistines stood on one mountain and the Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. Now, a backstory for this, and you'll see this in the language of of David here, is that God has already told the nation of Israel, no uncircumcised foe can stand in front of them. So it's again a picture of what it's like to walk in this earth. That Jesus said in John 16, what? In this world you will what? Have tribulation. But he doesn't stop there. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world as he is. So are we. And those who are born of God have overcome the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith. So Jesus has won the victory. And he gives us the keys of the kingdom to walk out that victory. But he holds you responsible for enforcing the authority that he has given you. Please be delivered of this thing that everything that God's going to do in your life, he's going to do for you. God is not in control of this world right now. What he is, is he's Lord over the church and the church is supposed to be legislating things in the earth. If God is in control, I have some issues with God. Because he's not doing a very good job. It gets quiet when you say things like that. First Samuel seventeen. I'm not going to read it just for the sake of time. But if you read verse four through nine, you will see this this, uh, this giant, this literal giant. He's not this this. He's at, some people think he might have been 12 feet tall, and he's called a champion. It's important to know that he's a champion because uh, he's known as a champion because he's never been defeated. And the reason I, I think it's really interesting that, that the writer describes all the physical features that he has because it describes how big he is. And he's never lost. And what does he do? He begins to talk. Now, this is really, really, really important point here. There are giants against the purposes of God in your life, in the life of the people of God right now that are about to fall to courageous Davids in the earth. But if you look at Goliath through one dimension, and it's the dimension of the five senses, you'll go, there's no way. There's no way. But here's what Goliath does. Verse 10, we'll pick it up in verse 10. Then the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Verse 11, then when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Keep in mind here, God has already told them in his word that no uncircumcised foe will stand in front of them. But Keep in mind here, the enemy has authority in your life where you listen to that voice. The most predominant voice in your life, the voice that you listen to the most is defining your life right now. If you listen to the voice of fear, if you listen to the voice of doubt, if you listen to the voice of unbelief, that will define your existence. You can be in Christ, have complete victory, but if you allow those things to overwhelm you, they have legal authority in their life. So what happens here? The same thing the enemy has done since Genesis, the third chapter, when they were created perfect. He speaks to them. My water's fallen. He speaks, and that voice that he comes out with, they look at him and they go, there is no way, and fear comes in their heart, even though they've been given victory. Verse 12. Now, David was a son of Ephraim, whose name was Jesse, who had eight sons, and the man was old and advanced in those days. Uh, Let's just skip forward just for the sake of time. Verse 16, you'll see. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself for 40 days, morning and evening. This is also really important. You have to have the ability to take authority over certain things. It's amazing to me. People think that just because they don't address things, it doesn't exist. You have to address, you cannot, this, one of the biggest places is right here. So many believers, they just, they let the enemy just have free reign in their mind. And then they put, see, your, your spirit was trained to be trained. If you feed it with Fox News all day, if you feed it with garbage on TV, if you feed it with the fear of this world it's going to get bad, it will let that come out. But if you feed it with the word of God, the promises of the Lord, this is what God has said about me. You pray in the Holy Spirit, you build yourself up. It doesn't mean everything's perfect, but you're, what do you do? You're training your spirit. He keeps talking because it's working. Verse 17, then David said to his, to, to his son Jesse, take now for your brothers an ephah of his dry grain and these 10 loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these 10 cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. I always laugh at verse 19 because I'm reading at the New King James. No one's fighting. <laughs> but here's what's interesting. Remember, there's a reason I I emphasize that part of the narrative. His father, who dishonors him, now asks him to do something for him. One of the keys to being a warrior upon this earth is learning and having the ability to honor where you've been dishonored. And if he does not honor the father that dishonored him, He does not step into a key part of his destiny. Here's the other part of this. God, and people don't like to hear this either, especially in America. God does honor an authority system. Who's who's the authority? The father. And you'll also see the heart of a warrior here and the heart of what should every New Testament believer be. It's a servant. Why am I here? Hopefully, I'm doing my best to serve the people of this church today. About people. And if he had any sort of kind of weird thing in him, he could have said, Dad, let me, let me pray, let me play you the prophecy. I'm supposed to be king. I don't have time for this cheese and bread stuff, I'm called to be king. I'm interning, you know, with Saul right now. I'm very busy. Or here's a common one in the body of Christ. It's not my gifting. If I did things that were just my gifting or or I'm not, I don't really feel a witness for. You know, you ask somebody, hey, can you help with the children? We need some help with the children back there. Well, let me pray about it. They haven't prayed in months, but they're going to pray about this. You know, sometimes there's certain things you really don't need to pray about, especially if you're part of a community of people. Please, please, if you're part of this community of people, don't be a consumer every week. Get beyond yourself. Even if it's just out there saying hello to people on Sunday mornings. One of the beauties, though, is this. I, I was... Um, I was in Dallas in February. There was a group of leaders in supposed to be like this prophetic round table. And they asked one of the people on there, They said, Well, what's one of, what's one of your non negotiables? And the young man said, I'll never be used for my gifting. And he kind of got a, a round of applause. And I thought to myself, I don't believe that. If you really want to minister and obey God's command of being an imitator of Jesus, you will be misused and abused because when you love people like he does, they're not all whole. Why am I saying that? Because sometimes when we begin to minister to people, we get hurt. We get, well, yeah. And I believe, you know, there's, hey, there's times I want to strangle people. Somebody got that nervous laugh. I'm just, I'm a very honest person. And I'll hear that voice. Love him. I'm going to tell him, you're not going to do anything. There was a meeting I was in uh, in another country, and there was the wrong thing was taking place behind the scenes, and I was being taken advantage of. And I left this meeting. I had to go teach session. I said, God, I, don't I just want to go home. I'll go home. I don't need these people. And I hear the voice of the Lord say to me, you think you're better than me? I knew what he was saying. He took advantage of Jesus. They used him for his miracle gift. They used him to get fed. They used him probably for a few bucks here and there. And the whole time, he knew someone were lying right to his face. I say that because it's important. And it doesn't mean we put ourselves in a place where we're continually abused or anything like that. But if we really want to live a life like Jesus... You have to keep. You have to stay unoffended, and you have to keep your heart open. And often, when we face trauma of people taken advantage of, the walls come up, and we'll minister to people only so far. I'll minister to them, but I don't want to get too close. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the things as he went as Jesse has commanded. Notice too there, the obedience is immediate. Warriors obey immediately. Warriors obey immediately. You know what I've learned about obeying? I don't, I don't nail it every time, but here's one thing I've learned. You have to make a decisive decision in your life that you're going to obey before something is even asked, I encourage people. I do it almost every week. I write it in my journal. God, with your help, I will put you first. God, with your help, I will put your word. God, your word is above everything. Whatever you ask me to do, I will do. And then, usually, when you say that, He whispers, "What well, you do? Oh, I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't mean that. <laughs> you want me to do what?" you got to make decisions before you're presented with something. Most people, or let me say this, a lot of people are never really asked to do the impossible because they're actually not even stewarding what's in front of them right now. A big part of your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ is your ability to manage. I've realized this, walking with the Lord. I've stopped praying certain prayers because I realize I haven't managed something sufficiently to receive increase in that area. Verse 22, and David left the supplies in the hand of his keeper and ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with him, there was a champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name. Coming up from the armies of the Philistine, he spoke according to the same words. Notice he is speaking the same words. But notice now, there's going to come someone on the scene who speaks back to him. So David heard them, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man fled and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills the king will enrich with great taxes, will give him his daughter, and will give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel." Then David spoke to the men of Israel who stood by saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Verse 27, and the people answered him saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. So Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. and said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and in the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. There's so much in here. And he hasn't given me a time limit, so. Some of you got nervous there. How about this? I'll sit down when I know the Lord's told me I'm done. <laughs> Three amens, that means I at least got 30 more minutes. <laughs> Just having fun with you. This is extremely interesting. So he shows up, Goliath starts talking, and notice here, all of these men have been, are in the army of God, all of them have the word of God, but they also know something David does not know. What, what do they know? They know, number one, if you can defeat Goliath, you get the king's daughter, and that's a good thing because she's a good-looking girl. Number two, notice, too, that it's not just David being affected here. David's choices are about to affect his whole family. He said, he, he's, they, they go, and you're going to get an exemption from taxes, and that's a good thing because Saul likes a tax more than Bernie. <laughs> Some of you caught that one. What's happening there? This is fascinating stuff. I don't know if you caught it. They are giving David, if we'll use a biblical term, revelation he does not have. They're giving him information that is causing faith to rise in his heart. But here's the thing. They have the same authority that David has. You'll never find once. How do we know that? Because the word already told them. You'll never find one place in that story that God said, David, go defeat Goliath. What did he have? He had a word from God. He's also got a prophecy from Sam. Sam, you can take Sam's prophecy to the bank. And he knows, I'm not king today. So Goliath's dying. What is he doing? He's trading on his prophecy. Fascinating. Everyone in here, how many are in Christ? Three people are in Christ. I thought you guys were Church of God. I thought you'd shout a little more today. I'm having fun with you. If you're in Christ, everyone's got the same Bible. And here's here's where it gets better. This is why it's good news. Everyone in here has the same commitment of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are, uh, that's the beauty about God. He's going to hold you responsible, but he is taking 100% commitment to your life. You're not created to take care of yourself. They have revelation that he does not have. It does not profit them. What does he do? He begins to encourage himself, and this is so important for any challenge in your life. I know no one has any challenges this morning. Any area that is not looking like God intended, any area, your children, your finances, your body, your job, whatever it is. I always say this, in one column, write the challenge. In the other column, write the promise of the Lord. Because in every situation, you have to see it through the lens of what God's promise is. What is David doing? He is seeing, before it ever happens, he is seeing Goliath defeated. And right when he takes a step, he's about to take a step forward, who challenges him? I wish it wasn't this way. The brother who should have been going, You go ahead, boy! I'm afraid! but if you want to go, I'll be be back here and intercede. I'm telling you, if you really want to walk out this life that God intends you to walk out, you're going to have to be quite courageous. This is not for, you know, wimpy people walking out the purposes of God. His own brother who should have been celebrating him, what does he do? He challenges his identity. And he defines him by where he is, not what God wants to do. It's what the enemy loves to do. What does is, what is his own brother actually tell him? You're just the guy who takes care of sheep. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you can't do that. Oh, you're going to see transformation and, cult, you know, it's poor here in west. Whatever, whatever, whatever the reasons are. No one's ever broken through. Oh, we've heard this before. Oh, we tried that. I've heard all those. Brother, you just don't understand how bad it is. No, you just don't understand how big God is. And when he heard the words which David spoke, they report, oh, verse 29, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned, uh, turned to another and said the same thing. Notice he's saying the same thing. And these people answered him as the first one. What is he doing? He's starting to encourage himself of what it's going to look like to see Goliath defeated. You got to see from a different dimension if you're in Christ. You have to have the ability to see things beyond where you're at. You go, God, this is what you said. Almost every morning I wake up, Lord, thank you for another day. Thank you, this is what you've promised me. Yeah, I see this mountain, but mountains are subject to change. But your word is eternal, and I will speak to this mountain. This is what you will do for me, because this is, God, what you've said. Listen to me. I am not arrived, but I know 20 years now of walking this thing out, I have watched what God has told me. I've watched it be completely impossible, and I've watched God fulfill one thing after another. Amen. Amen. Saul said, you're not able to go against the Philistines to fight him, for you are a youth, and he is a man of war. Let's skip on to verse thirty-six because this is what this is what David uh, responds to him with. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. What does that mean? David was not wasting his time. He was not wasting his time as a shepherd. Wherever you're at right now, wherever you find yourself at right now, you can steward properly, and God can use it for the purpose of God in your life. You go, but I know God's called me to do this. I know God's called me to do this. I know God's called me to this ministry. I know God's called me to do this business. Wherever you're at right now is preparation for where God wants to take you. David was not wasting. I remember years ago, I, I, you know, I'm very, I, like I said, I'm a very transparent person. I was telling the Lord, you said this, you said this, you said this, and it hasn't happened yet. It's taken a little long, God. You know, you know when you, you think you're being spiritual, but you need a Holy Spirit spanking? He said something this is years ago. He said, "I never waste people's time. People waste my time. Focus on what's in front of you right now." That's like a Pentecostal dysfunction. They're waiting on God. We're waiting on this, waiting on that. God's going to do this. God going to do that. When's he going to do it? Eventually he's got to do something. And this uncircumcised Philistine, stop right there. What are your keys? He's seeing what it's going to look like to see Goliath defeated. Second thing is here, he is a man of the word of God. Because he's using biblical terms there. He's using what he told them in the book of Deuteronomy, that no uncircumcised foe will stand in front of you. He will be like them. Seeing has he defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. What is he doing? He's calling also on his testimony. Really, really important. What is also this? He is a man of intimacy. You cannot follow a God you do not know. Don't, I I can't, I, I I don't really get this, but many people, are in Christ, and they are content with feeding to Christianity. What does that mean the most of God they ever hear is through somebody else? You know, one of the beauties you have, one of the great privileges you have, is you can be close and intimate with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's my best friend. Got up this morning, I said, what do you want to do? He said, let's go work out. Yeah, let's go work out. We're talking to the Lord, walking out we prayed this morning and bless God, I'm on my third cup of coffee. Gonna land the plane here. Verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five, five stones from the brook and he put it in the shepherd's bag and a pouch when he had his sling in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. How do we know he's a man of intimacy? It's completely insane to show up for a battle with five stones. It's not insane if you know the voice of God. I I, I can't tell you how many times in my life the Lord has asked me to do certain things that I'm glad he didn't ask my opinion because I just didn't think it was a good idea. Well, the Philistine came, and, and this is verse 41, and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he's only uh, a youth, ruddy and good-looking. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with the sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by the dogs. And the Philistine said to David, come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. I want, I want to really point this out, because many times when we are in the middle of trying to see a Goliath fall, whatever area it may be, or a church is trying to advance, the voice of the enemy, you will notice here that Goliath keeps speaking. He does not stop speaking till the moment he is dead. So, so important. When you walk by faith, here's what I've learned. You have to start everything in faith. Father, I trust you. I'm putting my trust in you. How do you, how do you start out in a situation? Father, I give this over to you because my shoulders were never meant to handle this. So Father, now I'm standing in faith and I'm trusting your help in this situation. And then what happens? As you walk in this period of in- intimacy, he will tell you things like he told David. Hey, bring, make sure you bring five stones to the battle. I always say, obey the voice of the Lord. And now he's about to face Goliath. In the middle of the storm, you don't focus on the storm. You focus on what God has told you. So is it start in faith, stand in faith? The standing in faith is the big one. Because what does the enemy love to do? It's not going to happen. It's taking too long. It's never going to happen. And what he wants to do is he wants to get your words to come into agreement with the voice of the enemy. And what does the Bible teach us? A double-minded man can receive nothing from the Lord. And here's the thing about words. You will live under the words that you speak and come into agreement with. There's no demilitarized zone. So this is why it's so important what comes out of your mouth. That's why the enemy loves for people to talk the language of the culture. Because words have been created, and when your body hears those words, when your spirit hears those words, it tries to come under the influence of those words. Oh, I can't believe that. So what's your body doing? Coming in, to, oh, I've got to be unbelief. Oh, that's out of my mind, or I'm losing my mind. See, you can choose the words that you live under, But you can't negate it unless you repent of it, the the result of those words. You're living under the result of the words that you live in, right? I always tell people, you want to see certain things start changing? Start changing what's come out of your mouth. We don't know how we're going to make it. Things have been really tight in the ministry. And what does the enemy do? He makes sure those words come to pass. Keeps things tight for you. Why? Living in the result of your words. And he loves for you to be moved by what you see. Verse 45. Then David said to Philistine, you come to me with the sword and the spirit and the javelin, but I come to you in the name, I think David got Pentecostal there. I come to you. In the name of the Lord of hosts, the guard of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, I love this, because in his confession, he is leaning into the strength of the Lord. The Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head, and this day will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistine to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts, and the, and all the, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with a, a sword and the spear, but the battle is the Lord's. I love that and he will give you into our hands everything that David says comes to pass. So it was, when the Philistine came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in the bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his horse head, excuse me, forehead, so that the stone stank in his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. And David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and stuck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in his hand. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistines and took his sword and drew out its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. Share with you at least a few more things here. About uh, eight years ago, I had a dream, and the dream has helped form the foundation of how I approach certain things. And in this dream, most of my dreams are like this. I don't dream every night like some of my other friends, but I dream enough. But Jesus came to me in this dream, and he said to me, he said, Abner! Abner! don't you know you can have what you say and in the dream I'm having this dialogue with the Lord and I said yes Lord you know I was explaining it to him. I remember that's how we started the ministry we just felt like we had this word from the Lord and we just trusted you and you've, you've fulfilled that word and you know you told me I'm going to go around the world but there was a problem the nursing home wasn't even inviting me and they usually want people to come you know what's more powerful than any open doors, any money you need? is the word of God. Because it'll get you everything you need. It really will. So I'm explaining this. Yeah, Lord, I know this principle. You understand. And Jesus was not very impressed. So he comes to me a second time. This time he's a little more adamant. And he says to me, no, don't you know you can have what you said? Second time, and because Jesus didn't understand the first time, I'm a servant leader, so I began to explain it to him again. in the dream. that's kind of funny me trying to explain something to Jesus. He seems totally not really impressed with my explanation. Finally, a third time, he comes to me, and he says this. And he's never cruel or mean. But he is pretty adamant. It's like his eyes of thunder looked at me. And he goes, No, don't you know you can have what you say? Dream ended. I didn't call my intercessor. I did not get out the dream interpretation book. What do you think he means? I knew what he was saying. And the dream was extremely biblical. Jesus, we know, in Mark 11, speaks to the fig tree. Jesus talked to things. Fascinating. I talk to everything. I talk to my luggage. I do You think it's funny. I don't like going to Europe next week. I don't like wearing the same clothes for more than 24 hours. I lay hands on it. One time I saw this angel going with my luggage. I knew it was safe. But he speaks to this fig tree and then when it comes back around again the next morning it says this in Mark eleven twenty. Now in the morning as they passed by they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots and Peter remembering said to him, Rabbi look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. And Jesus answered and said to him, have faith in God. Literal translation of that is have God's faith. For surely I say to you, whoever says, whoever says, whoever says, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things he says, believes those things he says, he will have, 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 he will have whatever he says. And then verse 24 says this, therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. Verse 20, So there you see verse 23, exactly what he told me in the dream is in the scripture. And then in verse 24 has fascinated me, and I still don't say I have full comprehension of that scripture, but I always thought to myself for years as I read and meditate on that, I said, how can you believe that you received it but you don't see it quite yet? Finally, hey, you, you, get, you get some things if you, if you study it for a while. Took years, but I finally got it. At least this part, it's this. I can believe I've received it because I said it. He just told me I can have what I Not just arbitrary, making up stuff. It's in the dialogue. This is not a mechanical thing. It's in the dialogue of fellowship with God. You know one of the things I, if you have unsaved relatives, I got a a brother who's working on his testimony. I just told him, I said, you're born in the wrong family, son. You're gonna be miserable till you keep serving the devil. We got a promise. You should come today, because you're gonna either come now or come later. But I go, God, what's their destiny? And I begin to pray that destiny. God, this is what you saw in them before the foundation of Earth. This is what they're called to do. This is who they are. This is what you said. And we begin to pray the word of God. Pray in the Holy Spirit. I, I know that's kind of, I, I even see leaders today kind of mock that. It's the only, only, it's the only time you pray the perfect will of God. Pray in the Holy Spirit. You know, just, just stir it up. Stir it up on the way to work. Just pray. And two times, you you always know you're praying the perfect will of God in the Holy Spirit. And when you open up this word, you got it. Final part of this. David comes up to a Goliath. He's on the ground, and this is really, really important if you're gonna defeat something. He doesn't go to Goliath and go, Nice Goliath. I know you've had some issues in your life. Your mom dropped you on your head and, you know, you, got, you know, your dad never loved you. Really, really important. You can't defeat Goliath if you still like Goliath. There's nothing in hell that you want. any area where you feel a pull or, or, or the enticing of the world, bring it under the submission of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing in this world that's worth dying for. I see, so, you, you know, it's just, there's certain things that I just, it's not in my paradigm. I'm not asking God questions of like, well, can I do this and still be a believer? Can I still drink a few drinks? I don't want anything to do with the world. I got one life to live. I got one life that he placed me upon the earth for. And one day I'm going to give account to that. And I don't want to think that I ever entertained something that could have even come close to stopping God's best for my life. Final thing in the book of Acts. I, I keep saying final, but you don't have any service tonight. and I'm flying home tonight. You know what it says about David in the book of Acts. And David, when he had served the purposes of God for his generation, went to sleep. Making choices that serves the purposes of God for your generation. Really, really important. We started with that. I think the the Holy Spirit's weaving that back around. Bottom line is, do we have a value system in place that's actually living for eternity. Receive this word today. You receive this word, why don't you just lift your hands. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you for your word today. Your word that's alive and sharpened the two-edged sword. And we receive your word today. Able. To spring up, able to bring fruitfulness. And I declare, Lord, today that your word has gone forth and it will produce 30, 60, and 100-fold return. I declare that faith has come to your word. I see this picture. I see this picture, and I believe it's representative of this community of people. I see you like a, you were like this locomotive train. I don't know a lot about trains, but it was cruising along, it was cruising along, and then there was like a, like a lightning that stopped the forward motion and all the cars disperse. But I actually see the hand of Jesus putting the cars back on the track. And the Lord says they're already back on the track. And the Lord says that there is a wind. There's a wind from heaven being released that is gonna start blowing you back down the purpose of God as never before. And the Lord says, now is not a time to grow weary in well-doing. Now is not a time to go. We don't know if it's going to work or we don't know what the Lord is doing. But the Lord would say, now is a time to stand as watchmen even in this season. And the Lord would say, I want to return to you, to the, I want you to return to the promises that I have given you as a house and the purposes of this house and the vision over this house. Because the Lord says, there, this is a season where I want to remind you of the promises of the Lord and I want you to live from a place of promise as never before. And I am releasing, says the Lord, a watchman grace to this house to watch and pray and declare the promises of the Lord in this season. For it is my desire to bring in a harvest of people, blacks, whites, Hispanics, I even see some Asian faces. I desire, says the Lord, to make this a house of a gathering place for the nations of the earth. I desire, says the Lord, to give you deliverance and chain-breaking power that sets the captives free, that sets the drug addict free, that sets those in their wrong mind completely free. I desire to release to you miracle power, That you've yet to see in your midst. Deaf ears opening. People coming out of wheelchairs. I desire to release to you an evangelistic grace. Where the harvest comes. And where Sunday after Sunday the lost find a place. And the Lord would say contend for the prodigals. Contend for them to come home as never before. For there are many that were in this house, but they have left and they have turned the way of this world. But the Lord says, do not lose hope in them. Call them back in this season, says the Lord. I desire this house to be a house of the word of the Lord, where the word of the Lord runs swiftly, where you hear and obey and move quickly to the purposes of God. There's something about this land that you're on right now. The Lord says, I gave you this piece of land as a sign from heaven to you, a sign of what you were called to be. You were called to be a city set on a hill. You were called to be a place where my light and my glorious gospel goes forth. You were called to be a ministry training center. You were called to be a releasing place to the nations of the earth. You were called to be a place where people discover their five-fold call. You were called to be a place where people discover the grace of God and the ability of God to engage the marketplace. You were called to be a place of wisdom, wisdom, understanding, and revelation. You were called to be a house of prayer. And so I have placed you on this hill for strategic purpose. And I speak to you today to remind you that the vision is way beyond what you have even see right now. The vision is way beyond what you could imagine. But the Lord says, if you'll step and trust me in these next three years, I will begin to turn all things for your certain good. No longer say the best years were in this year or that year, but I say to you, I desire a glorious future. I desire to break you into the things of God and the things of the Spirit as never before. I desire to break you free. I see like an open heaven and I see like a, like a flood from the Holy Spirit coming and it's water and it's touching every part of the sanctuary and as it touches, it brings an environmental change to the purposes of God. And the Lord would say, Welcome my spirit, honor my spirit, give room to my spirit, and watch the flood of my power come in your midst. For I do not want you to be on the sidelines for what I am doing in this region and in this great state. For this great state has been mocked and even cursed by some. But the Lord would say my hand is on the state of West Virginia. You have been called to be a forerunner, reformation state. You've been called to be a place where it breaks the back of a poverty spirit and overcomes the limitations of man. You have been called to be a state that raises up the house of prayer. You have been called to be a state that raises up the apostle and the prophet. You have been called for greatness since the very foundation of this state. And I say to the, state, to the church in the state of West Virginia, arise, arise, arise for what I've called you to. For these are indeed great times for the purposes of God in this state. And there will be a connection all across this state. There will be a cross-pollination even for this house. I will connect you even with other strategic ministries and other people of like-minded vision. But even in the connection, the Lord says, there'll even have to be a humility on your part to say they're different than what we know, but we know that the Lord has called us to walk together as one. What the Lord would say, My people must come together in this house and in this state as one body, declaring the same thing. And the Lord would say, There will come a roar, says the Lord, out of this state that will go into the southeast part of the United States and will traverse up into the northeast. And it will be a, a place, this will be a state of divine connection in the purposes of the Lord.